0: Would you turn your Bibles tonight to 2 Kings chapter 8, 2 Kings chapter 8, and this evening we'll be looking together, we're going to advance, we're going to look at verses 1 through 15, or at least that's my intention, we'll, in the bulletin it says only the first six verses, but we'll press on to verse 15, 2 Kings chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Now Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life saying arise and go with your household and sojourn wherever you can sojourn for Yahweh has called for a famine and it will even come on the land for seven years so the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God and she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. Now it happened at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines and she went out to cry out to the king for her house and for her field. Now the king was speaking with Gehazi, the young, man of the, the young man of the man of God, saying, please recount to me all the great things that Elisha has done. Now it happened as he was recounting to the king how he had restored to life the one who was dead, that behold the woman whose son he had restored to life was crying out to the king for her house and for her field. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. Then the king asked the woman, and she recounted it to him. So the king appointed for her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the produce of the field from the day that she left the land even until now. Then Elisha came to Damascus. Now Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, was sick, and it was told him, saying, The man of God has come here. And the king said to Hazael, Take a present in your hand and go to meet the man of God and inquire of Yahweh by him, saying, Will I be restored to life from this sickness? So Hazael went to meet him and took a present in his hand, even every kind of good thing from Damascus. 40 camels' loads. And he came and stood before him and said, Your son Ben Hadad, king of Aram, has sent me to you, saying, Will I be restored to life from this sickness? Then Elisha said to him, Go say to him, You will surely be restored to life, but Yahweh has shown me that he will certainly die. And he fixed his gaze steadily on him until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. Then Hazael said, Why does my Lord weep? Then he said, Because I know the evil that you will do to the sons of Israel. Their fortifications you will set on fire, and their young men you will kill with the sword, and their infants you will dash in pieces, and their pregnant women you will rip up. Then Hazael said, But what is your servant, who is but a dog, that he should do this great thing? And Elisha answered, Yahweh has shown me that you will be king over Aram. So he went from Elisha and came to his master, and he said to him, What did Elisha say to you? And he said, He said to me that you would surely be restored to life. Now it happened that on the following day he took the cover and dipped it in water and spread it on his face, so he died, and Hazael became king in his place. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Once more, our Father in heaven, we pause to thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to, on Sunday evenings, to work our way through this portion of Holy Scripture. We pray that tonight, once again, by sitting under the preaching of your word, that your spirit would be shaping our thoughts about you. We're so grateful that it's by your word that we are kept on the straight and narrow It's by your word that we are um, renewed in our thoughts about you. So bless us in these next few moments that we have. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, they are quite uh, two contrasting scenes. One uh, of somewhat of joy, of, of remembering of God's amazing power to even raise the dead... And then following in verses 7 through 15, a scene of, well, of doom and of evil and of gloom, even bringing Elisha to tears. And we want to look at this tonight and ask what we can learn of the Lord about this passage. Remember that in this section of 2 Kings, things are not following necessarily sequentially. So in this passage, for example, in the first six verses, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, he's a young man, we're told, in verses 1 through 6. Well, we know from a previous passage that the time will come when he's the guy that will try to uh, get a little extra tip, shall we say, from uh, Naaman as he, after he was healed of his leprosy, and Gehazi actually received the judgment of having leprosy himself. So what the Holy Spirit, who is the ultimate author and compiler of the scriptures, what he's doing in scripture, his main concern is not merely that we have an accurate, factual history of the history of Israel. It is that. But he is ordering these events, which are true and absolutely accurate and infallible, but he's arranging the descriptions of these various scenes in such a way that various impressions about God are made upon our hearts. And so it's within the full right of the Holy Spirit to do that. And we don't want to, uh, from our vantage point, say, no, you, you can't do that. Uh, why not? It's nothing inaccurate about it. It's The Word of God is written in such a way that is accurate, that it's true, but it's written in such a way that the Holy Spirit again is emphasizing certain truths and here it is we're learning in the history of Israel in the north and we're learning the big question why is it that God ultimately judged his people Israel why were they carried off in the north by the Assyrians and why eventually would they be carried off in the south in the kingdom of Judah by the Babylonians and it's a long history and it's a rather sad history But one of the things we're learning along the way is that just because it's a sad history and full of a whole lot of blasphemy and apostasy and disobedience and unspeakable, wretched wickedness, that even in the midst of all that yuck, God is still kind and merciful and abounding in compassion. And we see that in the first few verses of chapter 8 as God, through Elisha, warns this woman This woman who had, remember the one who had built a a room for Elisha with her husband's permission, and uh, this was a way of supporting Elisha, which probably was a little bit dangerous in those days. Elijah and Elisha weren't exactly on the um, list of who to have over for dinner if you want to be in good with the kings of Israel. So she builds this place and cares for him and ministers to him as he has an arduous uh, way of moving around. Uh, Paul LeVang and is going to come down tonight uh, from West Stewartstown, Pastor Paul LeVang, and he and I will be leaving early in the morning for Boston and suffering uh, for Jesus and going down to Jupiter, Florida near West Palm Uh, beach and uh to a, a conference and uh we will be in the conference monday night all day tuesday wednesday morning and then flying back um the weather looks like 75 it's terrible and um so but we'll make it and we'll try to come back to you safe and warm where was i going with this i have no idea i had a point but it's gone i'm excited about that warmth i guess um yeah i had a point well we'll scratch that from the tape but um just god 's grace, oh I know that that we have a we have a hotel uh booked and and uh we 're thankful for that um, and we just take for granted some of the modern conveniences we have get in the car, get on a plane there 'll be a hotel, some place to be well elisha 's living in a time when um, there are no Hampton Inns, there are no um, marriott 's or whatever hotel is your particular choice and So she provided a place and in that she provided true support as he had a itinerant ministry throughout Israel. So, you know, the story again of how she raised his son, uh, her son that God had given her. God had given her that son when she did not have a son and then he died. And then God raised the boy uh, back from the dead. And so to this woman, God continues to show his kindness—it's another little just reminder that you can't outgive the Lord. It's just not possible. He'll win. You can try, but he'll win. Um, we may be thinking we're generous or we've sacrificed, and we will always find, both in this life and the next, that God always preserves reserves the right to outgive His servants. Um, and so He continues to bless her. And one of the ways in which He blesses her is by Warning her, giving her a particular warning that there is a famine coming and not just any kind of famine, but a famine for seven years. Now, that's not a blip. That's a long time. I mean, seven years is enough time to live in a certain area and to have neighbors and and to see your kids growing up. And I mean, it's it's a significant amount of time that the the famine's going to take place, and that she will be living among the Philistines. But in this case, it is an act of faithfulness on her part. She's not being a coward. She's not being disobedient. She's responding to the kind word of the Lord. God is going to judge Israel, in this case, with a famine. And we know it's judgment from the law of God, that famines only come upon the people of God when they persist in disobedience. So Seven years. And she did, verse 2, according to the word of the man of God. And she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines for seven years. But during that whole seven years, she was waiting for the time when she would go back. She never put her roots down deep in Philistia, even though she had to accustom herself to living there and had to just make do, get by. For that time, her eye was always, as it were, on the horizon, always longing to get back to Israel. Because remember, for the faithful, for the godly, God had made certain promises concerning the land. The land for them was not like us, a mere piece of property that we bought. Even, even for some who may have had a piece of property that's been in your family for a long time, uh, this is different. God had promised to his people specifically this piece of turf and had been adamant that once your family was allotted a certain piece of land that part of your faithfulness to God was trusting God to remain on that piece of property and so she knew that that was the land that God had given to her family and as an act of faithfulness she returns to Israel to resume her life at that place. But apparently she gets back and finds that there's either squatters on the land, someone else has taken up her house, and it probably was a a pretty well-to-do facility because she had servants, she had a household, and enough means to be able to put on an in-law apartment, if you will, for the prophet, for the man of God. So whether it was the king or one of the government officials or somebody, somebody had taken her land, and she at the end of the seven years, returned and determined that this was not going to um, suffice. She was going to go and she was going to make her complaint known to the king. Now at this very time, I don't need to recount it, but here's Gehazi, the young man of God. This is before he has leprosy. This is years earlier before the healing of Naaman. And the king, out of curiosity, verse 4, is just asking Gehazi for stories. Tell me some stories. Uh, you know there's people in your life you've met and uh, you enjoy being with them because they have some good stories and um, maybe they're about sports um, I've, I've shared with you this before but I have a friend who worked in the funeral home business for years and some of the stories are interesting I, I, I don't mean to be morbid but it's just some of them are just humorous and uh, some of the situations and Anyhow, um, I'm not saying death is funny, but, but it's just a reality of just, it's interesting. Uh, I'm sure there's farming stories that are interesting. There's military stories that are interesting. And so in this case, the king is interested in, tell me some of the spect- spectacular things that Elisha has done. And so Gehazi is recounting, in particular, among all the stories, one is most impressive. He was even used of God to raise a young man from the dead. Andrew restore his life. And he was telling the king about this when lo and behold, the very woman and her son came in. And Gehazi's amazed. The timing is amazing. It is a testimony to God's faithfulness. It's a reminder that God's power is always present but it's also a tragedy here. We've already seen God's kindness towards this woman and God continues to be kind in that the king restores the land to her but in this case, it's tragic because the king is interested in the stories. The king even has standing before him the living, breathing evidence that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is powerful to save and yet there's no evidence that his heart is changed no evidence his heart is turned it's a reminder that only God ultimately can change the human heart you can say well if I saw somebody literally standing risen from the dead maybe then my relative's hearts would be changed and this is the testimony of scripture and here the evil king of Israel is the evidence of this that unless God regenerates and converts the heart Even if we see a a dead man standing in our presence, it's not sufficient to change us into godly men and women. So that's the character of the king. He hears these great stories and his interest in Christianity, if you want to call it that, is mere curiosity. And maybe you've met people like this. They're interested about Jesus. They're interested in the stories of the Bible. They maybe even have a fascination with somehow some of the prophecies became true. And yet there is no change in their life such that their life evidences a love for the Lord, a life of godliness. So we've seen the kindness of God Towards this woman, and his mercy and his faithfulness once again god 's faithfulness to his word to his people, we see the tragedy of the king in his unbelief, and then thirdly, and finally tonight, we see in verses seven through fifteen, uh, we end on kind of a negative note here and i 'd like to end tonight with my thoughts about uh, god 's kindness to that woman and, and how he warned her and how he provided for her and restored the land to her. And, So when I go to bed tonight, I want to be thinking about that. But we have here a sobering reminder that God, again, is faithful to all his word, including his word to judge. We've been given in the king a little glimpse, again, of why God had to finally judge Israel. And this isn't the final judgment. This is just a precursor. But... Elisha came to Damascus, and uh, that's far in the north, and, and there Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, was sick. And so the king of Aram, Ben-Hadad, sends to Elisha, he's probably heard that he can raise the dead and knows that he can do amazing things, and so he sends a big whopping gift, 40 camels loads. I mean, that's a lot of stuff um and so uh, you know he 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 must have been really sick and he must have been very wealthy and he figures well there's no use I can't use this stuff if I'm dead so I might as well try to see if I can use it to save my life he tries to buy a healing as it were and so uh, he sends and he sends his servant Hazael Hazael to meet Elisha And he recounts to him the message and asks, you know, will I be restored? There's some, you know, we are obviously in a little bit trouble. Does Elisha lie? Uh, Dale Ralph Davis has some helpful comments in his commentary. There's a little bit of question about the original Hebrew text here, how it's translated and so forth. Um, But uh, I don't mean to dismiss it, but the, the, the focus of the text is on not so much Elisha's words and the technicality of does he lie or does he not, but on the amazing fulfillment of God's word. Listen, not to Elisha, but to Elijah. Now, where's Elijah by this time? He was taken to heaven. He's not around. But God is fulfilling in this scene what uh, he had spoken to Elijah at Mount Horeb. Now watch this. Let's go back to chapter 19, verse 15. God says to Elijah, not Elisha, Elijah, Elisha hasn't been anointed yet. He he's, hasn't been picked yet. Yahweh says to Elijah, we're going back in time here, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus and you will arrive And anoint Hazael king over Aram. And Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat Abel Meholah you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Now the way it is fulfilled is that he goes back and anoints Elisha. And it is through Elisha that Hazael all those years later back to 2 Kings chapter 8 that Hazael this nobody he says he's a dog in other words he's a servant of the king of Aram but he's he's not on the front list apparently to be king and yet God had determined that through this Hazael this no name this nobody that God would use him to judge Israel and to judge Uh, Jehu ultimately king of Israel and so all these years later God is fulfilling his word we had forgotten I forgot about the reference but we forgot about the text all the way back in first kings 19 I wonder how long ago that was on Sunday night and um, we read over it and we remembered God saying something about Elijah anointing Elisha and this guy named Haziel who, who is he And this guy, Yehu, and here we are. We finished 1 Kings, and we've been through 2 Kings 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And all this time later, after all these things that's happened, Elijah's gone to heaven, Elisha is carrying out his ministry, and yet God has not forgotten what he said and what he determined to do. He determined to fulfill his word and anoint Hazael, king of Aram, And Elisha, after telling him this, weeps. Verse 11, the man of God wept. And he wept because he knew what Hazael would do. Uh, It's childish of us to think, wow, that'd be really neat to know, like Elisha, what's happening. Remember, that's been one of the things that we've learned is that God used Elisha so that the king of Aram couldn't make any moves militarily speaking without, you know, Elisha knowing exactly what was going on. Elisha wasn't omniscient, but God chose in his sovereignty to reveal a lot to Elisha. And with that knowledge came not only joy, came grief because he knew that God was going to fulfill his word and judge Israel. And God revealed to him some of the horrible things that Hazael would do. Unspeakable things we wouldn't even mention if they weren't in Holy Scripture. But again, Scripture is not candy-coated. Scripture deals with the world we really live in. And though it's disturbing, it's hard for us to even let our eyes run over some of these words. Certainly to read them is difficult. Nonetheless, we know that this is the reality of war in history too often. And so Hazael hears this prophecy, understands that this is his opportunity, goes back and murders his master, the king of Aram. And as we move forward, we'll find that Hazael, in fact, is used by God to be a judgment upon Israel. So what does the scripture say in the New Testament? Uh, Behold the kindness and the severity of the Lord. The kindness and the severity of the Lord. We like today in evangelicalism to to divide God and, and only have the kindness. But he is who he is and both in all that he is and his kindness and his mercy are in keeping with his holiness and his faithfulness, and his justice. But let's remember tonight as we close, his kindness to this woman, and in the evil days that we live in with all the wretched, unmentionable, wicked things that take place, let's take heart that God did not forget her, and if we, like her, and again, notice how the scriptures are lifting up this woman as a model of faith to us. Again, unparalleled, in the ancient Near East literature. God is upholding her, and if we are like this woman and we follow her example, simple faith in the word of God, trusting in God with fear and reverence, we can take heart tonight. No matter what's going on in the world, China, Russia, United States, all these things that concern our hearts and make our hearts tremble maybe, War and rumors of wars and all the wicked things that are happening in our nation. Let us take heart that God does not forget his humble, faithful people. Let's pray. So, God, we thank you. We thank you for this woman. We thank you for her example. We don't know her name, but we thank you that you highlight her, not for. to somehow lift her up, but to honor her and to set before us an example of someone who in dark days did humbly believe in your word and support your work. Thank you for those gathered here tonight and uh, for those here who are uh, desirous of your word and wanting to trust it. We pray, Lord, that we would fear you as we ought, that as we behold the severity of your judgment in our day upon this world as you give this culture over in Romans 1 in judgment to depravity that is just uh, um, gut-wrenching to behold. We pray that you'd help us to remember the scriptures we're learning again so that we'll be of steady heart, steady nerve as your people and that our eyes will look to Christ and that we will take heart and know that you will care for us and as we sang earlier lead us all the way. We bless you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.